Hello, fabulous listeners. Thanks for tuning in to Old Bodies Outside. This is your host, Dr. Ryan Peterson. This episode's guest is psychologist and behavioral scientist, Dr. Eric Reimer, who is a professor at Southern Cross University in Australia. Dr. Breimer's research focuses on the human nature relationship, the impact of outdoor adventure sports on well-being, and experiential outcomes of outdoor extreme sports. He is the author of the book titled Phenomenology and the Extreme Sport Experience. Dr. Breimer, it's an honor to have you on Old Bodies Outside. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you can join from Australia, but why don't we jump right into hearing about your your long history of research. I know you've been conducting research on adventure sports and outdoors and well-being for over two decades. And um, with further ado, I'm just going to jump right in and we'll kind of get started with it because I'm very interested in hearing about all the benefits that come with outdoor adventure sports. So what drew you to researching outdoor adventure experiences and outdoor extreme sports? Yeah, um, well, I, I was a, a, an adventure coach for quite some time, um, and I've always had this sort of like uh, sort of challenge where I'd like to use my body and I like to use my brain. And the more I was working in the adventure coach, it's obviously a very intellectual problem-solving type thing as well because you're working with different people in different environments and you have to take all the different sort of considerations into account to be successful and effective. But there was always something nagging and niggling in the back of my mind saying, you know, I'd like to know more about, um, uh, you know, what's going on here. And, and especially when you could see change in people, you could see how people um, developed and, uh, and you could see how, um, you know, people were transformed in many ways um, through the activities you're doing. So I worked across sort of young people to um, older people. Um, in tourism context, in recreational context, but also in a sport context. I was coaching um, uh, adventure sports for a com competitive um, group as well for a while. But I could definitely see there were some links there. So then I, I decided to go and do a master's in sport and exercise psychology, uh, 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 focusing on, a, um, on the adventure sports and realized at that time that the research that I was reading, the research on that area was really didn't reflect the you know what I understood to be the experience. What didn't reflect my experience um, definitely didn't reflect the experience of some of the people I was working with. So that opened the door then to thinking, well, okay, what is going on here? Um, and um, maybe I should go and investigate it a little bit more. Um, so I did a, a part of my master's degree. I did a uh, you know we we had to undertake a small project. So I looked at um, expedition um, leadership and teamwork and other such areas. And then from there, um, I was very interested in trying to understand the adventure experience and decided well probably a good place to start was looking at the most extreme end of the adventure, um, figuring out what that was all about, um, and um, then maybe we could use that knowledge to extrapolate to the perhaps less extreme cousins um, of a similar activity. So that, that's that's how I got into it, and that's where my journey started. Um, but we've taken all sorts of twists and turns since then. Yeah, yeah. Well, I like that you, you started on this kind of end of the continuum with extreme sports. Um, but before we jump into that, I want to know what is considered, first off, we, we know what nature is. People have a good understanding of the outdoors, yeah. but what's adventure? What does that mean? Yeah, adventure is it's a really complex notion, um, and um, actually, probably what we call adventure now, once upon a time, used to call, be called life, and, and probably is for many people around the world. 
Um, we, we, we've tried to sort of, um, uh, you know, differentiate it from everyday life, perhaps because our everyday life has become quite, um, you know, quite boring. We're, we're seeking safety continually. Um, and so we've had to, you know, we've, we've, we've created a word to describe something that we do. For some people, adventure is about, um, you know, it's about what goes inside, that psychological element. And maybe they talk about taking risks or maybe they talk about the risk-taking personality. Um, for some people, it's about participating in what has been called dynamic environments. Um, so it's the fact that the, the natural world is always changing. Um, I struggle with both of those two because I, I don't see it as purely an internal thing. Um, and pretty well all adventures are dynamic in different, all the environments are dynamic in different ways. Um, whether it's a social environment always changing or, you know, even driving to school this morning, taking my, my son. I mean, you know, the, the change is there. It's been raining for a couple of days in Queensland. Nobody knows how to drive in rain in Queensland because it doesn't happen that often. So that environment was um, changing all the time, but I, I wouldn't necessarily call it an adventure. Um, so to me, it's it's this kind of combination between environment, person, and uh, and, and activity, um, and definitely about the way um, we relate uh, within the natural world. That sort of person-environment relationship is very much part of that. Um, and it, I don't think it needs to be something that is uh, overly novel. It's something we could be doing for for you know off and on for a while. Um, so it, it's it combines all those three different elements. It's something where in where we are um, figuring out where you know what we're capable of doing. Um, you know we, we're figuring out where our comfort zone is, not necessarily going beyond our comfort zone. Uh, it's something where we are working in relation to the natural world and we're very much attuned to information in the nature and within the environment, in the natural environment in particular. Um, and it's something that involves a particular kind of activity. So we're traveling within that process in a way that, that means we have to be highly attuned to the uh, information in the environment to be successful um, in a way that we, whilst we, we have to understand our own cap capacities physically, psychologically, etc., but it is something that um, that allows us to move a little bit beyond the everyday life. So that to, to me, it's all three of those things, and all three of those things in a relationship notion. Um, I, I have I struggle with the risk taking kind of focus on adventure, um, only because that then you know makes the assumption if you want to be a good adventurer, then you have to be have a risk taking personality, and adventure is all about taking risks and. Um, and it also means that adventure is only for a limited number of people. And, and I don't agree with that. I think adventure is for everybody. Um, it may not be that everybody wants to, you know, proximity fly or, or, or kayak over, you know, the 30, 40 meter waterfalls or something. But that doesn't mean that adventure isn't for everybody. Um, and so, so some of those traditional definitions, are, I think we, we have outgrown. Um, and I also think that um, when you look at some of the way that adventure has been utilized in a therapeutic context or an educational context, if we keep sort of pushing the risk taking type of um, uh, type of definition, then we're not doing justice to those that we're working with in those contexts. We're not doing justice to the young people we're working with and we're not doing justice to the people that we might be working with in a therapeutic context. And, and, and I, I really think that the kind of idea that says, you know, it's all about learning how to take risks um, is it, if that's all we've got in adventure, then, you know, it, it, to me, it's, it's a, a very limited perspective of what, the, what adventure is all about, and what the potential is.
So, uh, so I hope that answers your question in a roundabout way, um, because I'm not sure we're 100% there yet. We, we've proposed a few um, definitions, and I know I've seen there's been a couple of papers recently that I've been part of the review where people are proposing other definitions. Um, but for me, it's got to come out of the person. Uh, it's got to be within that person-environment relationship. Um, it's, it's neither one nor the other, and that's it, that relationship is really key to it. Yeah, and... and... So that, that was a, a very interesting explanation. And, you know, one of the things that you said was that it's it's people getting outside of the kind of ordinary functionings during their mm -hmm. life, during their day. And so and I, I agree with you about, like, getting away from the risk-taking part because that's not for everyone. And everyone can have access to adventure. But does that mean that maybe adventure requires a little bit of discomfort to get outside of your ordinary functionings where it's like you got to have a little bit of I'm not talking risk at all. I'm just talking, you know, like mm -hmm. for me to get out of my daily routine can be, you know, a little bit uncomfortable yeah. just because it's unknown. Could that be yeah. kind of yeah. within that? Yeah, I think so. I think that's that's kind of what I meant by that sort of um, element where we're, we're we're finding out where our comfort zone edges. I think we, in today's society, we, we use this word, you know, pushing your comfort zone or going outside your comfort zone. I'm not sure that's really right either because okay. some of the... Um, when I did my work on, on extreme sports many years ago, many of the participants say, well, I never go outside of my comfort zone. And, and then you find out what they're doing. You think, well, if that's not going outside your comfort zone, then what is? Yeah. Um, and, and what they explain is if, if they're going outside their comfort zone, then that's when things can go wrong mm -hmm. because they don't have the they're doing something where, um, you know, they're. they're they're not really attuned to the information in the environment. They, they, they haven't done the background work that's required. They haven't planned. They haven't trained. They're doing something where um, it's outside, you know, the, the, their level of knowledge of their own capacities, uh, physically, psychologically, et cetera. They're doing something outside of that as well. So there seems to be something about um, the, the comfort in the way that we've got used to being sedentary and quite bland and quite safe. So from that perspective, yes, but not from the perspective of, um, so it's more like finding out where your comfort zone is. Um, so it, rather than pushing beyond your comfort zone. Okay. Finding where your comfort zone's at. And then also, you know, that environmental aspect too, whatever the environment yeah. is, but especially that nature component, when you combine the two, I got to imagine there's mm. a lot, it's a powerful benefit probably and many benefits. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd agree with that. There's there's three things that going on. We've known for uh, decades now that physical activity is really, really good for you. And a recent meta-analysis came out to show that actually physical activity from the point of view of um, interventions for anxiety and depression, physical activity is more effective than traditional psychotherapy and other such things. So we do know that physical activity is really, really good for you. And adventure includes physical activity. We also have known now for decades that, um, you know, feeling, uh, you know, relating with feeling part of being in nature is really, really good for you. In fact, research has shown that um, that doing sort of physical activity in nature has benefits way and uh, beyond and above the, the benefits you get from physical activity alone. And that's partly because, you know, whether we like it or not, we are nature. And um, it's one of the things that I, it kind of comes into that um that idea of finding out where your comfort zone is that we spoke about earlier on in the sense that we've kind of forgotten that we're over the years in in the same way we've we've forgotten that we have bodies and we need to move them and we need to be um, physically active on a regular basis we've also forgotten that we're part of the natural world so um interacting with the natural world is is fundamental to what it means to be human but we have created in you know environments now 
where um, you know interacting with the natural world is, is a thing that we do sometimes because you know, we've got roof overheads fantastic we've got fresh water for most of us anyway around the world fantastic especially in the modern western world um, we've got all those lovely things that we can do but as a result of doing that we've sort of you know it's, we've isolated ourselves I often describe it it's rather like the tiger in the cage you know many many years ago in the zoos you tigers used to be in cages um and you know they used to pace up and down and, and be very distressed and they weren't really tigers at all we figured that out many years ago that actually that's probably not a good idea to put a tiger in a cage um and now we've created much more tiger-like environments even though they are not perfect for tigers because they're still zoos but they're much more tiger-like environments and we do things like you know put the food on on big poles or we hide it somewhere. So we give them something that enables them to be uh, a tiger, what we call a form of life, the form of life, uh, a tiger form of life. But as a human form of life, we've kind of caged ourselves like that tiger um, over uh, over centuries. Um, and we haven't quite figured out yet that the reason why we're pacing up and down and have mental health issues and, and physical health issues is because essentially what we've done is caged ourselves. Uh, we put ourselves into this tiger the, the the you know the previous tiger-like environment um and and we are yet to realize that actually we need to create environments uh in the same way that we have done for the tigers we need to create more human-like environments and in the end humans are um like every other animal they have evolved to be uh in relation with the natural world um and as a result when humans are most well it's because they're interacting effectively with the natural world so that's two elements of it then adventure itself is something uh, adds another little twist to it. So you've got the benefits of physical activity, then you've got the extra benefits of the natural world, and then you've got the extra benefits of it again of being adventurous. And interacting with the natural world can include things like you know doing mindfulness under a tree, or it can include um, you know the the sort of gardening and growing your own food and all those sort of things, which at one level you could argue you know has an element of um, difference in it. Um, but adventure, when you look at it the way we've described it to now, adds that extra element where you're figuring out where the edge of your comfort zone is. So that means you might have heightened emotions. It means you might have to be really attuned to sort of quite nuanced elements in the, in the natural world. So if you're whitewater kayaking, it's absolutely essential that that noise that you can hear, that little way, the way that wave, the bit of water is working, that you really understand what the implications of that are. You don't just sort of barge through it. Um, in the same way that if you are, uh, you know, if you're climbing to to realize what the shadow or whatever it is that on the rock, what it indicates and how it might be useful to you is really, really important. So so if we if we rethink the way that we uh, we relate and we move and we see it much more as a uh, as a sort of, um, you know, that relationship notion with the natural world where we are attuned to little bits of information that help us. Um, achieve the goals that help us move through the natural world in an effective way, then all those three bits together um, suggest that you've got something really, really powerful, far more powerful than anything else as a human being that, that we do. And when you then realize that all of those things are, are aspects of what it, you know, fundamental aspects of what it means to be human, um, you can see that the impact of doing all those three can, can be, you know, way and beyond, um, you know, the sort of Hollywood trend of going to your therapist. Not to say that that isn't useful for some people, but actually maybe what we need to do is is come back to what it means to be human. And what, what are human beings? Well, we are naturally meant to be adventurous. We are naturally meant to be um, doing the stuff that we do in relation to the natural world. And we're naturally meant to be physically um, active. 
and adventure activities do all three of those things. Yeah. Gosh, Eric, you got me thinking about my life. And um, I, I work in a box called my office. I, I drive to and from work in a box called a car. And then I come home and I sleep in a box called my house. And if an insect comes to my yeah. house, we make sure to take it outside because it's not allowed yep. in the box. Um, and um, I don't have, you know, I'm pacing back and forth in life and I don't have heightened senses <laughs> because I don't need to. And, you know, I think that like it, it, it compromises a piece of, you know, for maybe being in, in casual terminology to, to like, oh gosh, like I'm not living the way I should be. And I don't really know what's missing. Well, it's nature probably. Yeah, it's, it's, it's being in relation. It's, it's, it's having that um, fundamental experience of being attuned to information in the natural world. And the, the trouble is that um, because we aren't attuned or many people, you know, don't have that capacity or the opportunity to develop those skills, to learn, to revisit those kind of skills, because they are naturally there. They're not things that we have to, um, we, you know, they're not skills that we have to, there may be skills, how we aware of them and, and, and how we utilize them, but they're not things that we have to develop. Um, there are things that we have to realize that we've already got and therefore how well do we use them? in the same way that we have to realize that we have a body and how well do we use it. And, and we have a tendency at the moment to, to look at the gym as the answer, but maybe maybe actually what we should be doing is looking at um, how we interact with the natural world and climbing trees and things like that. Uh, we only have to look at kids. If you, if you give young people the opportunity to be out in nature, you can see exactly what human beings are supposed to be doing in the natural world. Um, if they're out there, the tree is meant for climbing um the you know the, the 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 ditch or the stream or the river is meant for paddling in or throwing stones in there, there are ways that we interact um with the natural world that are innately human um and, and i think the other thing to think about also is that we often confuse the time and benefits of being in nature with a kind of an aesthetic quality of the natural world and maybe there are aesthetic qualities i.e the color or or, or um you know whatever it might be but actually, when we rethink psychology a little bit and we realize that the relationship we have with the natural world is more functional, i.e. what it offers us uh, as things that we can do, you know, um, we can pick up sticks or we can use sticks to dig things or trees can invite climbing um, or streams can invite paddling in. So they're, they're about opportunities for us to be active. That in itself also changes some of the ideas we have about the impact of being in nature um being outdoors and of course the impact of adventure as well yeah no the impact of all that sounds uh, wonderful and I, I was kind of thinking from the parental standpoint where I've, I've come across some parents that they they've not been in tune with nature for a long time and their children mm -hmm. go out there and, and the safety net gets thrown really wide and far and it's almost like oh mm -hmm. like you know because i'm a parent i didn't I don't, you know, I've not been in nature. I've not allowed myself to go out in nature. My kids, like that's, that's an unknown zone. I don't want them doing that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh man, like I feel like that could be, mm -hmm. you know, hurt their development. Yeah. We, I, 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 my feeling is we can't, we can't always put the blame down on the individuals because in the end, what we have created over the years is a, a cultural environment that says safety is number one. So even the way yeah. we've designed our everyday social environment, it's about ensuring safety. So I, I sometimes use Maslow's triangle as a nice metaphor for this. We've done a fantastic job at um, creating, at least in the Western world, at creating uh, places for shelter. So our houses or relatively fresh, clean water for most of the time, or, you know, easy ways of cooking, easy ways to get our food. So we've done a really good job 
at ensuring from a safety perspective that everything's in place. We can get medical support relatively quickly, most of us in the Western world, and really good um, you know, medical support. But the problem is all the focus has been on the, you know, on the safety element of things, making sure all these things are in place. And as a result, we've covered the first two you know, layers of Maslow's triangle reasonably well, but we've designed out of our environments all the really important bit, including self-actualization and all those other things. So, so what we've done is, is really effectively created a culture of society that says, you know, don't get hurt. Be careful that, um, you know, if you're ill, we've got something to, and all those sort of different things. Um, and as a result, individuals in the end are brought up with that uh, mindset and individuals will reflect that mindset in the way they behave because of the way our societies are designed, because of the way our culture sees some of these things and the importance that our culture puts on these things. And you can understand why, uh, you know, there's no, you know, it is important that we do those sort of things for so many different reasons. But I think we've come to an age now where we need to say, yeah, fantastic. We, we you know, we've done this. Now we need to open up a little bit more. And, you know, the idea of being urban adventures, such as parkour, where people are, you know, they learn to to uh, attune to different information in the environment. You no longer have to go into a building by the front door or you no longer have to use the steps to climb from one level. You don't have to, climb, you know, walk on the pavement. You, there's so many other ways you can move through the um, through through this urban environment. Um, and you can also imagine, you know, families walking down the road with lots of trees there and, you know, some kind of urban environment. And, you know, they say, oh, yeah, of course you can, kids. You can climb that tree if you like. Go for it. You can imagine how very quickly um, the council would be there or whatever it may be to, to say, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't climb those trees because they're afraid that somebody might sue them or something along those lines. So we have created a culture and a society physically and socially that says, you know, we've got to stay within these kind of containments because that's the safe way to be and there's really good reasons for us but i think now we need to start opening that cage door and we need to open the cage door to allow the human tiger um to interact with their environment in a kind of human tigerish type of way um and rather than leaving ourselves in that cage with the door locked we need to open it and we need to allow um some of these other interactions to happen more effectively and then we need to design our environments to encourage some of these things culturally as well as physically. So that it is okay to climb the trees in, in the middle of the street. It is actually okay to go into a building from in the in the you know the, the second floor or whatever it might be because you've climbed the wall into it rather than through the front door. We have different ways of thinking about how we move in those environments um, that allow us to be adventurous in all sorts of different ways, that allow us to be physically active, that allows us to be um, also more in tune with the natural world, the way we design the environment is not about the aesthetics of having lots of plants everywhere. It's how we interact with that um, natural world, even in urban contexts. I think we need to start thinking more carefully about that. Yeah, I, I feel like we, you know, going back, uh, uh, gosh, a couple thousand years ago, we had Plato's allegory of the cave. Are we ready for Brimer's allegory of the tiger cage? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see, won't we? <laughs> Wow. Okay. Well, that's <laughs> no, the tire cage though. It's, it, it's, it's really worked well for an example in this conversation though. It really has. And um, I'm sure it's probably something that you bring to your classrooms when you're talking and whatnot. Um, but you know, one thing you've been describing all these benefits and is this all encapsulated in well-being? 
Yeah, I mean, well-being, uh, it's not about ignoring the fact that we have, um, you know, we have the capacity to feel in different ways. You know, sometimes we feel not so good and sometimes we feel fantastic and we have a whole range of ways. And it's different for different people. And there are all sorts of different reasons why some people might not feel fantastic um, continually or feel pretty horrible continually. And other people might be fortunate enough to feel really good continually for, you know, all sorts of different reasons. But we have the capacity as human beings for a range of um, feelings. And one of the things that we the work in extreme sports is, is indicated for the sake of example is that um, rather than labeling this, this sort of continuum of experiences as some are good and some are bad, is actually they're all experiences that we need to pay attention to. And extreme sports, one of the major ones, of course, is the idea of fear. So that fear is often being labeled as a bad thing. You know, we need to avoid it. It's not good because it makes us feel a little bit emotionally uncomfortable. But actually in extreme sports, fear is really important. If you don't feel the experience of fear, then it's likely you won't be, uh, you know, you won't be made aware that you need to pay real attention to what's going on around you. Something is indicating that this sense of fear, um, uh, you know, it, it, you need to pay attention to it. And then that allows you then to say, well, okay, what is it? Is that something I heard? Okay, maybe that's a, a, an avalanche I can hear in the background or what is it going? So you suddenly have that sensation of fear says, pay attention, what's going on? So it becomes information. So the, the way we feel these emotional sort of states that we have are actually about information. They're about saying, okay, pay attention here. What is this? What is this sort of sense um, wanting me to, uh, you know, to take heed of, to um, to be aware of? And then what can I do in this situation now that I've figured out what it is? So so what we've got then is a sense of, of the idea of well-being, which is where your where your, uh, where your question came from, not in the sense of it always being positive, lovely but in the sense of the way we reinterpret these experiences, emotions that we have, instead of saying, right, this is bad, avoid it. Actually, oh, what's going on here? This is information. This is telling me that I need to pay attention for some reason or other. What do I need to pay attention to and what is it that I can do with it? And there are lots of ways that people describe that process and some can be long-winded and, and very cognitive. Others can be much more um, uh, you know, embodied in the sense that you don't, it's not a crowd, oh, old bunch of, well, X equals Y and Y equals Z, and therefore I must do this. It's much quicker and much more sort of embodied than that. Um, but then well-being becomes a holistic understanding of how to live well, um, how to be well. And that isn't avoid all the nasty stuff, all the stuff that makes me uncomfortable. It's saying it's accepting it all. And, um, and then once you've accepted it all, what are these things? Why are these things in my life? Why am I feeling really good now? What is it that I need to pay attention to? What is it that's, why am I not feeling so good? Why, and all those kind of questions that can go on. So, so well-being becomes the acceptance of all those sort of things with the idea of leaving, living a really well life. And adventure and extreme adventure, um, if you ever want to go that level, are really good ways of understanding that, of coming to terms with those sort of things. A, because some of the experiences that you have, especially in more extreme adventures, are um, really sort of, um, uh, you, know, uh, you know, things that people search for all their life. Um, you know, people say, oh, I've been doing meditation for 15 years, and but, you know, first time I did an adventure, I got the experience that I was looking for. Um, but also the way that we understand these experiences in much more sort of um, uh, in terms of the, in them being information rather than good or bad. Yeah, yeah. And I think like that's almost sitting on something larger where I feel like, you know, as a society, we're very focused on safety. We talked about that earlier and uh, as a, to touch on that, when we talked about that earlier, gosh, safety is such a big, there's so much capitalism behind safety, but then like just now talking about looking at this holistic approach 
um, of, of well-being, it, it got me thinking how also as a society, we tend to think, think of things dichotomously. It's either good or bad. And I think yeah. that well-being, your explanation there, really pointed towards like, no, that's not dichotomous. It's, it's you know, what's going on? What, you know, what, what, are my, what are my senses telling me? What am I learning from this? Um, and that yeah. was an interesting explanation I had not heard before about well-being. Yeah, yeah. And, and the other thing from, of course, from my perspective, the fundamental element of that is to think, well, what are human beings designed to do? Well, we're designed to interact with the natural world. We're designed to be attuned to information in the natural world. We're designed to move. Yeah. We're designed to actually figure out what we're capable of um, emotionally, psychologically, physically. And therefore, we're designed to be physically active, outdoors, being adventurous. That's what we're designed to do. That's what kids would do naturally. Um, yeah. But adults for some reason or other, have um, told themselves they shouldn't be doing those sort of things. Yeah. You know, from my subjective experience, it seems like the outdoor recreation industry has been growing. Is that something? And more people mm -hmm. are kind of like, okay, like I need to get out, not need, but I want to get outside. Maybe mm -hmm. I need to get outside. But have you been seeing yeah. that trend too? Is that something that's there? Yeah, there's definitely research that suggests that's international as well. Even parts of the world that perhaps once upon a time wouldn't have seen these benefits being worthwhile are being much more adventurous now places like india and china and so forth a lot mm -hmm. of research suggests that the numbers are increasing uh, exponentially in those uh, in countries that we we wouldn't necessarily associate um with these sort of activities so i would say internationally and there's research done in the uk to show that the um that the, the type of activity that is um growing uh, most rapidly is outdoor adventure um, activities, traditional sports are um, being overtaken by outdoor and adventure um, activities. So, it, so there's all sorts of pointers to say that actually being outdoors, being adventurous, being physically activity, uh, being physically active is the way to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, that's just fantastic. And so one of the things I also wanted to focus on, um, and we kind of talked about it in our conversation before we started recording, um, on top of well-being, though, I also want to hear a little bit about how maybe being outdoor, doing outdoor adventures can help with humility. Yeah, I, I think one of the, I think that's a really interesting question for all sorts of different reasons. And, and I think, again, that links to the way our society and culture has developed um, over the years. And we've become very individualistic, um, driving for individual success. And this idea of success looks like, whatever it looks like, you know, fancy red sports car, big house, lots of money in the account and all those sort of things, which actually when it comes down to it are, are you know, the sort of um, pointless and, and relatively uh, useless to extent once you get past a certain point. Do you really need more money? Do you really need a bigger house? Do you, does your car really need to be going at sort of 250 kilometers rather than 100 kilometers an hour? The answer is possibly no, but maybe that's just my perspective. So what, what happens when people interact with the natural world in a more adventurous way is that the idea of being in, com on, in competition against nature, um, people start to realize that actually if nature really wanted to, you could snuff you out in a second. There is no competition. Not only is there no competition, but the natural world doesn't even recognize the fact that you're there. So there's no way that Everest says, oh, look, there's 300 people on me today. Which one of these shall I snuff out? Well, I'll go for number one. I'll go for number 10. I'll go for number 33. Um, okay, flick, flick, flick. They're all gone. It doesn't work like that. So there is no competition. There is no sort of idea of I'm going to conquer Everest or I'm going to conquer this big wave or I'm going to do that because it just doesn't exist. The more adventurous you get, the more you realize that actually if you want to do this again, 
that means you have to survive and you have to not only survive, but you have to survive in a way that allows you to do it again. So surviving, but you've lost all your limbs and all those sort of things is, is no longer, you've got to come away from it thinking, oh, wow, I want to do that again. And most adventurers think this is fantastic. I love it. I, I, this is something I want to continue doing. So therefore you have to learn um, very quickly how to interact with the natural world, with something that is so powerful that it could snuff you out in a second if it really was a competition um, that, you know, and there is nothing you can do to combat or to beat. Or, so you have to work in a very different way. You have to understand what the uh, little nuanced bits of information mean. You have to develop the skills to actually dance within, uh, you know, w- with nature, if you like. So you're moving through, moving with nature in a way that means um, you actually have to figure out not so much, um, what do I do to force my way through this? But how do I change the way that I interact with the natural world that allows me to get from A to B um, in, in, in a way that means I come out the other end having, you know, still with all my limbs and all those sort of things, uh, enabling me to do it again. And the only way you can do that is to accept that you're a far smaller than the natural world. You're insignificant with regards to the natural world. And actually it's you that has to adapt. It's you that has to develop the skills. You have to develop the physiology. You have to understand what that those bits of nuanced information mean. You have to adapt to that. So it is the individual that has to change. Um, and and I've you know I've spoken to as part of my extreme sports researchers uh, uh, research. Um, you know medical practitioners. Uh, one who said you know before I went into adventure, um, I saw people as numbers in a bed. After adventure, I realized that actually the Mr. or Mrs whatever they may be, and they've got families, they've got other things going on in their life, not just what they happen to be in that in the hospital for at that time. So that sense of humility, that sense of realising that actually we're far smaller than we like to think we are, and we're far more insignificant than like we think we are, and actually we have to adapt and we have to, uh, you know, we have to be much more in relation to the physical environment, feeds into the way we interact in every day, in our everyday lives too. So the way we interact in our social environments is very, very different. And we start to realise that actually... You know, these people that are yelling at us right now, they've got lots going on or it's maybe not that important, the kind of particular um, issue that I'm having at the moment. So why do I why am I needing to get all up, uptight and derate and whatever about it? What's going on here? So you learn based on that interaction. People tend to or seem to learn and that changes the way that they function more broadly, not just in relation to the natural world, but in relation to all other environments, too. Yeah, yeah. So it's that humility transfers right over. You function with it in those social environments, um, and mm. you know, in your private environments too. Yeah, that's really, really fascinating. Uh, well, Doctor Brimer, we are getting close to having to part ways here, but I did want to ask one more question to you, um, and it might be a, a one that you might have to think about for a second. But so, as I mentioned earlier, you've been conducting research for over two decades. Uh, what has been the most fascinating investigation you have conducted? Yeah, uh, it's a really challenging one for me because I found them all um, fascinating, I'll I'll be honest. Um, But the ones that often open my eyes to really interesting ways of thinking about things are the ones that involve students. So, um, you know, uh, somebody doing a PhD or even sometimes somebody doing an honours degree for that matter. And you can have a conversation with somebody and you suddenly sit there and thinking, wow, I never thought about that, but that's really, really fascinating. So... Um, and and in many ways, um, 
it's the students that have changed my perspective um, on on some of the things that I, the way I look at some of the things now and the way that I understand um, and the way that I've interpreted some of the information that I might have gathered in the early days and realized that actually I've been looking that in the relatively, because I've been brought up in the same society, same culture as everybody else has done. So some of the ways that I have been looking at um, some of the data that I have has been very limited by my own experiences. So when a student comes along and says, well, what about this way of looking at it? You think, oh, wow. So that to me, those have been the, often the most fascinating, the most sort of um, interesting uh, bits of research that I've been. And there's been a few of those. Most recently, there's a, um, a researcher in Finland, that, that um, a research student in Finland that I work with, who's looking at adventure and taking an ecological psychology perspective on it. Ecological psychology is very different to traditional psychology. Um, and his perspective on some of the things that um, that we're talking about now uh, is sort of fundamental, uh, fundamentally within the ecological psychology approach, um, and, um, and and you know that 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 in itself has changed some of the interpretations I've made from my own study, you know, my own PhD many many years ago. Um, so those are the kind of things that fascinate me now. Often not, it's, it's often rethinking the way that we traditionally would view things. And trying to trying to explore them in a more sort of a real way. Uh, in the early days, introduction phenomenology was an, was another um, because that really allowed me to go beyond traditional psychology and 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 sociology and and cultural work to to get to the essence of the lived experience, which opened up so many um, doors to to my understanding as well. Yeah, and it sounds like through your research, you've just you've learned a lot about how you think and just how you function oh, yeah. in your brain, and which is really cool. And you know, with introducing uh, you know, the students' perspectives, it's like, oh, gosh, like I had this assumption in my head or I had this bias mm -hmm. in my head. And uh, it, it, mm -hmm. you rewire your thinking, too. And that's just cool. Mm. Yeah, it, it's I find those the most I mean, the most wonderfully challenging things, because, you know, in the end, you, it, it, those kind of relationships start off with with me supposed to be the expert and them coming along to learn from <laughs> me. But very, very quickly, I find that actually um, it's often the other way around. And, and then, you know, we're figuring things out together and, and I'm learning more from them in many, many ways than, than perhaps they are from me. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, it's time to wrap it up. We're going to call an episode here. I'm going to put on that outro music. Dr. Brimer, thank you so much for connecting from Australia, bringing all this, this you know, more than two decades worth of knowledge to this episode uh, and delivering quality content. So thank you. You're very, very welcome, Brian. And thank you very much for inviting me. You're welcome. Okay.